This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by QSuper. QSuper looks after the retirement savings of more than 110,000 Queensland teachers and Department of Education staff. With QSuper, you get comparable long-term returns with fewer ups and downs, so you can feel confident your future is in safe hands. Visit qsuper.com.au for more information. Hello, and thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. Can therapy dogs decrease anxiety and stress in students and improve school attendance? These are just some of the questions Monash University academics are trying to answer as they push for more research in this area. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Linda Henderson and Dr. Christine Grovey from the Faculty of Education at Monash University. Both researchers have trained their own therapy dogs, Damon the Black Labrador and Bronson the Labradoodle, who you might hear moving around in the background of this episode. Dr. Henderson is a senior lecturer and a former teacher, and she raised Damon from a puppy. He initially worked as a guide dog before retiring and retraining as a therapy dog. Dr. Grovey is a lecturer at Monash and also an educational and developmental psychologist. She has been using Bronson in both educational and clinical settings to help children to overcome their fears. To kick off this episode, I start by asking the researchers to run me through the benefits of using therapy dogs in a school setting. Um, Okay, so some of the benefits of therapy dogs in a school setting include things like um, allowing children to um, increase their interpersonal skills in terms of learning how to interact with a dog and therefore that can then therefore translate into how they have their, um, enact their relationships with their peers. also can reduce their anxiety around learning tasks that they may find actually stressful so it can actually allow them to engage in such things as reading and writing um, with the aid of a dog to help them reduce their their stress levels so it may be just through having a dog sitting next to them as they engage in reading and they're able to pat pat the dog um, during that task and that actually reduces um, stress levels um, well we hope yeah. <laughs> this is what I guess you will we'll move on to that um, and and so yeah some really good um, things around confidence too so um, we know that kids with low confidence um, having a dog in the room um, just their presence alone can increase um, engagement um, and we've got a lot of antidotal evidence around kids more likely coming to school if there's a dog present um, and so you can see some really cool um, online stories um, about schools where they have a therapy dog um, and how it's addressed um, attendance rates um, in, in particularly at risk areas so while we have some research around this um, we can't yet really link it to literacy outcomes Um, and so we need to do some more research and identify some of these key ingredients and things that are happening to then say whether there is an impact on learning and we kind of also want to gather some data around attendance too so in a school that has a therapy dog uh, you know what are the actual statistics on that yeah because that's what I wanted to talk a little bit more about the research or the lack thereof of research can you talk a little bit about that so what we know, we know there's lots of um, anecdotal evidence in terms of the use of therapy dogs. 
Um, however, the solid research is actually, so when I was saying, you know, it can actually reduce stress, that is all anecdotal. So, you know, there is, there is some evidence to show some of the um, chemical changes that, that take place in terms of interaction with the dog. Um, but there isn't solid evidence to actually show that, that having a dog reduces that direct relationship isn't yet known. So we know, you know, anecdotally that there's an impact on a child's well-being, which therefore can impact on a child's learning outcomes. Um, but we actually don't have the solid evidence to actually show that this is what's going on when we use a therapy dog. And so that's where we are needing the research at the moment to be really focused on. Mm -hmm. um, it's really critical. Mm. And so I was just also wondering, when you take your therapy dogs into a school setting, what kinds of things happen? So are the, school, are the children allowed to pet the dogs or do they read to the dogs? So what Damon does, he reads with a one child. So there's um, a, a children are selected by their teachers specifically to read with him. Um, and a story dog will go in with a volunteer. The child is selected by the teacher the volunteer doesn't know why the child has been selected, so personal information in terms of what, why that child's been selected isn't um, passed on in terms of passing personal information on, other than, than they will benefit from reading with the dog. Um, so it's a one-on-one -on -one situation with parent permission to engage with Damon. Mm. Um, so it's not just free for all. Um, can other children pat him? Yes, I do allow them, but you know, I also teach them that he has to sit first and you have to ask and you can't just all run up. So you know, there's lots of teaching that goes on in terms of actually thinking about that as well. You want to talk about um, Bronson? Sure, Bronson. Um, so with Bronson, he um, we, I use him quite therapeutically. So he's in the sense where um, he might engage with some vulnerable kids who might be on the spectrum or and might need to learn some social skills um, in certain situations. So um, we use him in, in that way. And yeah, absolutely, when he comes into a school, kids are meant to engage with him. So he's not a service dog, um, meaning that if he was a service dog, you, you can't go up to them. And So there are a lot of legalities around that um, with service dogs. So with Bronson, um, absolutely, kids are meant to touch him and, and say hi and, and give him a big rub which is what happens um, and so we know that if he's around kids are probably more likely to, to come to therapy or to come to our well-being area so that's what he does. Yeah and Christine you mentioned specifically in your presentation about Bronson having epilepsy and how this ha helps with your interactions with students who have epilepsy. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, and so Bronson was diagnosed um, around two years old um, and it happened, you know, middle of the night, he had a really big seizure um, and we actually thought he had died because it's, you know, quite a full-on uh, first first seizure and it was, it, we thought, developmental or not sure. And so that experience was really, really full-on and really interesting. And then we've been able to talk about Bronson's experience in that and having to go and get MRIs and doing a lot of tests to identify it and then be on ongoing regular medication and regular visits and blood tests now um, with kids who have chronic health conditions. And so um, how he might use Bronson is, well, actually, Bronson totally knows what that's like. He's also had to go through that MRI and he didn't like it. He really made a big fuss. Like, how do you go through going through an MRI? And it kind of normalises that tough conversation 
um, that you can have with kids who, who ordinarily wouldn't share um, unless they thought someone would understand um, what that's like. And, and we know kids with chronic health conditions don't share with their peers that they're going through that, um, nor do they really want to because their peers don't know how to necessarily respond in the best ways. Um, and so Bronson kind of gives that you know, non-judgmental, um, unconditional positive response to that situation. Um, and then we can even talk just around the medication every day and how you know, keeping Bronson well is tough and part of his journey. And that's part of kids taking responsibility too for their health, which is a really, really tough, tough thing to do. So Bronson's empowering in that sense. Um, and it's it kind of like, you know, one kid described it to me that, oh, Bronson's damaged goods like me. Um, and it was just a really surreal moment that they could connect in, in that way. And we could talk about, well, what do you mean by that? Because I don't see Bronson in that way. Mm. Um, in fact, I haven't thought of him differently. In fact, I think Bronson's pretty resilient and a strong dog to, to you know, come and get through this. So we use it in that strength-based way. Yeah, really powerful. And I know that we've talked about the benefits, but despite all of them, some schools still choose not to have therapy dog programs um, in their schools. So I was hoping you could talk a bit more about the perceived risks of taking part in therapy dog programs. There are schools that don't want to have therapy dogs. There are people who have um, concerns around therapy dogs. So first of all, some of the most common concerns are around allergies. Um, so yes, dogs have hair, dogs have fur, and allergies are, are an issue. So we can't actually rule that out. Yet we do have dogs like Bronson, who is allergy free. But even even that, some people will say, well, is there a, even such a thing as a truly allergy free dog? Yeah. So there's still even questions around you know that sense of an allergy-free dog. Um, so we know that there's there are the allergy issues, and they are legitimate issues. Um, but then there's also other concerns around such things as safety. And of course, schools are concerned with safety, and that's totally understandable. You know, they are ultimately responsible for the safety of their children. So there's lots of concerns around. Um, you know, will the dog bite? Will the dog hurt the children? Will all those sorts of concerns? And a lot of that comes from not understanding exactly who a therapy dog is um, in terms of their selection, their their training, um, the need to pass strict criteria in order to become a therapy dog. Um, and what they have gone through in order to make sure that they will react appropriately if they are hurt by a child or if a child you know, happens to sit on top of him or whatever, that we know how Damon's going to react. Um, so you know, there's, there's those sorts of concerns, which until there's a broader um, education of, of the public, I guess, and also um, more solid research that actually says, look, this is, this is the situation, this is who these dogs are. They're not just any dog, they are a very special dog. Um, and we also know that because they are so special, they can produce these benefits. So we, that's a, sort of what we're really needing to get at to sort of dispel those myths. Mm. Mm. Um, it's important to acknowledge that there will be anxieties around therapy dogs in schools and, and we don't want to shut down those conversations. They're important to have um, so that we can challenge misconceptions about this space because when our dogs come in with us, they're not running around jumping on people. They're not barking. They're really well behaved and, and we trust our dogs and know that if we need to leave them in a space and put them in a drop, 
for a period of time, they will absolutely still be in that spot when we get back. So there's a lot of training and evidence base that goes into creating a therapy dog. Um, kind of, It doesn't just happen overnight. And it, and it isn't like just bringing your dog to school. There's um, objectives behind it, goals behind why that dog might be there. Um, and, and that's important to, to consider um, when we address some of these perceived risks. I think even... Um I just had someone ask me a question about um, is it fair for the dog? So even that is, is an interesting question in terms of... Um, so the question was around, you know, how often does he work and all those sorts of things. I, and it's like, um, well, actually, he has time off and it's really important. A lot of time off. Yeah, and, you know, he will go home and I'll take his coat off and he'll go and have a mad run around in the backyard and that's him letting off, you know. So... As, as owners, we are very aware of our dogs and their needs, so it's also our responsibility to um, look after our dog's well-being as well. So, um, mm. you know, so there's lots of concerns that are still out there. Yeah. And so then, finally, for schools looking to introduce a therapy dog program in their setting, what are some things they need to consider, or do you have any advice for them when, for getting started? Um... It, I think, first of all, it depends on the context and what they're looking for. So it's actually, it's, you know, looking at doing a needs sort of assessment. What is it that they're looking for to begin with? You know, it's, sorry, I, I want a therapy dog, but okay, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what is it that you're wanting to address? What in your wellbeing program are you actually wanting to address? So it's, it's actually about addressing it from that perspective rather than just going, oh, it sounds good, <laughs> you know, because they may not actually know what is that they're going to use that therapy dog for and what the benefits are going to then therefore flow out of that. So it has to be a well-thought-out decision and there has to be reasons why they're going to do it and therefore it also means there has to be a full commitment to the program. It needs to be an overall um, seen within their overall well-being policy, not just as a sort of something that happens on the side. Um, so it really needs to be fully incorporated into into their programs. Um, so you know, I think a school should make contact with a reputable organisation other than us as well. Um, but you know, if they're going to to think about it, they need to think carefully about who they're making contact with first of all, and then to work through those processes in terms of thinking about well, you know, what what am I wanting it for? What are the aims I'm wanting to get out of it? And to have a real clear plan, and that would help us with our research. In turn, and and building on that, um, Linda's right. It, you don't want to kind of just give this idea that a, no therapy dog is going to fix everything and yeah. it's a magic wand because it's not. Mm. It needs to come into a school with with a need, um, and we do have some schools that I know right now in my you know my mind that would greatly benefit from a whole school approach where there is a therapy dog part of that process, but it needs to come from a needs based assessment um, as part of the well being policy um, and included and written into the inclusion framework. Mm. Mm. And well communicated to parents as well. So, you know, there needs to be acceptance across the community body in terms of um, accepting what they're wanting to implement. So I'm even aware of, of cultural issues with dogs, um, you know, so you have to take even that into consideration. So we know that there are certain cultures that consider dogs to be dirty and so you need to be aware of that and work through that with various families so there may even be those issues that a school has to work through even before they begin to think about getting a therapy dog. Fantastic well Dr Linda Henderson and Dr Christine Grove and of course Damon and Bronson as well thank you for sharing your insights with Teacher Magazine. No worries thanks for having us. That's all for this episode to keep listening or to download all of our podcasts for free whether it's from our series on school improvement 
behavior management, global education, teaching methods, action research, or the research files, just visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer. The full transcript of this podcast is available at teachermagazine.com.au. That's where you'll also find the latest articles, videos, and infographics for free. This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by Q Super. Your retirement is something you save for your entire working life, and it's important to feel confident your money is in safe hands. With Q Super, you get comparable long term returns with less ups and downs. After all, it's the long term performance of your savings that's important. Visit qsuper.com.au for more information.